Hi, it's Karen here. And before we begin, I want to answer a quick question I receive often. How do I eat healthy when on the go? Now, I believe that I thrive with stage four cancer largely because of my healthy lifestyle and always look for ways to make clean eating simple. One option I love is Daily Harvest. I get chef-crafted, wholesome foods that are in and out of the freezer delivered right to my door. My personal favorite is the Brussels Pod Thai Harvest Bowl. From smoothies and superfood lattes to harvest bowls and delicious desserts, Daily Harvest has it all. Choose healthy and convenient today and get $25 off your first order with the promo code PRETTYWELLNESS at checkout. Go to daily-harvest.com. And here we are. I want to welcome you to Happiness Through Hardship, the podcast. I'm Karen Sullivan, the founder of Pretty Wellness, a two-time breast cancer survivor thriving with stage four disease, and author of the book, which is a cancer guide and journal for patients and caregivers that shares the same name as this podcast, Happiness Through Hardship. I'm also a girl who wishes on pennies. I try to see the good in everything, even when life is not so great. But sometimes it takes a little more. And this podcast will provide you with what worked well for me. Success stories of people that have been through hard times and simple suggestions that brought hope, resources, and connections. Now, if you like these episodes, please do me a favor. Rate, review, and subscribe. Your efforts truly will help this podcast get noticed and help us inspire more people. And now for this episode, I am honored to introduce you to Barb Nangle, an entrepreneur, podcast host, and boundaries coach. She's a success story of someone who struggled with substance abuse and has made it her life's work to help others. So please grab your favorite drink, get cozy, and let's get started. I am so happy to introduce today's guest, Barb Nangle. Barb is an entrepreneur, podcast host, and 12-step recovery coach who focuses her work on guiding others through victim mentality, building boundaries, and improving relationships. Barb, too, has struggled with substance abuse, so she's made it her life's work to help others with their struggles. I am so excited for her to share her story and how she found a way to live through the hardship, continually heal, and find a little bit of happiness through the process. Thank you so much, Barb, for being here today. Thank you, Karen. I'm really excited to be here, and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to share my story with people. For those um, of you who are not familiar with 12-step recovery, it is customary for people to share their story so that other people, especially newcomers to the program, can identify and see this is the place for me. These are my people. And I'm not alone. Other people have been through what I've been through. So um, to give you a little bit of background, I will say I was 52 years old when I got into recovery. I'm 58 years old now. I was a lifetime seeker. I, I started therapy probably at about age 15 and went almost continuously through my first couple of years of recovery. So it was almost 37 years in total of of um, therapy before I got into recovery. I read a gajillion self-help books. 
I did workshops, workbooks, work groups, retreats, uh, nutrition and fitness programs, you name it. So I was always seeking and I really didn't know how dysfunctional my life was until I got into recovery. What I did know was that I had a string of dysfunctional romantic relationships behind me. And it turned out that as I got into recovery and learned more and more about myself, that I also had dysfunctional friendship relationships and colleague relationships, but I really didn't understand that. And a lot of it was quite astonishing to me because I, here I was trying to be better and get better and do better. And I was also a pretty spiritual person. And one thing that many people might not know about 12-step recovery is that it is about becoming a spiritual person. For some people, that is, has to do with God. And for other people, it just has to do with being connected to the universe in whatever way. So you don't have to be someone who believes in God necessarily, though, though many people in recovery do. So I'll tell you the story of what happened for me and how I got in recovery first. So I had been volunteering through my church on a project to serve homeless people. And very soon thereafter, I befriended a guy who started coming to my church. His name was Dan and he was homeless. And I thought, oh, here we go. This is divine intervention. But I get to meet and befriend and know as a person, a homeless person at the same time, I'm serving homeless people so that I can see them as the human beings that they are, not just as the homeless. Well, we became good friends. And one night during a snowstorm, I invited him to stay in my home and he did. And then he stayed another time and another time. And then four months later, he was practically living in my house. And I felt trapped. He was a substance abuser and an alcoholic and potentially he may have also been narcissistic. And I was really scared. And I remember talking about him one day in therapy and in the middle of a sentence, I stopped and went, oh, do you think I need to go to Al-Anon? And my therapist said, yes. So Karen, I don't know what I Googled, but when I went home, I was looking for Al-Anon, but I hit on this word codependent. And I was shocked to learn this word. I had never heard of it after eight therapists, 37 years in therapy and a billion self-help books and also being very introspective. And I was astonished to find out that it really described me to a T. And for those who are not familiar with codependence, it, it's kind of an amorphous term, but essentially it means that we go outside of ourselves, either for validation or for meaning or whatever. And so often we put other people's first, other people first. And so it turns out that I am a lifelong people pleaser. I bent over backwards and accommodated people. And I had heard the term people pleaser before, but I really didn't know that it applied to me. And so I started in a 12-step recovery program and very quickly got a sense of relief, even like six weeks in, because I could see that there were people who were like me who had recovered from this. And I could see that there was a path of recovery. And very soon, um, I remember saying to someone who may have been Dan, as a result of what I was learning in recovery, I said, I think I need to be reparented. But I didn't know that reparenting is an actual thing that people do. I thought I made that turn up, term up. And then 
Soon after that, I went to go visit a friend in Cape Cod who was a longtime member of Alcoholics Anonymous, and she always had wonderful things to say about recovery. So I told her about this program I had started going to, and she said, well, let's see if we can find a meeting up here, and I'll go with you, because it's really common in when people are in 12-step recovery, even if they're in different programs, that they support each other in their recovery and take each other to meetings, et cetera. So she couldn't find the meeting for the fellowship I was going to, but she found another one. And I didn't think that it was for me, but I said, you know, I'll, I'll go for you. And I walk in and they say, we reparent ourselves. And I was flabbergasted. And then they listed the traits of the people that qualify for that program. And I was again, flabbergasted. So I came home to New Haven, Connecticut, looked up those meetings, started going to those meetings very soon after a second meeting in that fellowship started in the area. I started going to that. Can I can I um, jump in and ask you just yeah. a few questions here because yeah, you're so sure. eloquently telling your story. So back when you, I, I think you said you were talking to someone and said, I, you know, I should go to Al-Anon and, mm-hmm. Al- and then you said, and Al-Anon is... So, so Al-Anon is for the loved ones yes. of people who are alcoholic. So it could be the parents, the children, the spouses of alcoholics to learn how they can interact with the alcoholic without trying to control them. Because that's sort of the go-to most people's natural course of action is they do things that they think will help the alcoholic. And often they're very wrong. In fact, they make things worse, but we don't know that. Right. Right. And that's why thus, as you were looking into the codependency, you, you Mm -hmm, have this mm -hmm. aha moment where you're like, wow, I, I I probably needed, need to be reparented, like Mm -hmm. learn new habits from those Mm -hmm. that you were taught or believed you were taught at a very, very young age. Uh, And so that's where you started going was that when you said you started to go into 12-step program and within mm-hmm. just a few weeks you started mm-hmm. to see a light and people that you right. could identify with absolutely I mean very quickly I, I I remember having a sense of relief but I didn't know that I needed to be relieved I didn't know that I was carrying all this tension I didn't know that I had a sense of urgency 24 7 I'm pretty sure that I lived with low level anxiety my entire life, but I didn't know it until it was gone. And then did you, because of your, for whatever reason, find that there were various substances that you would use because Mm -hmm. it just either filled a void or seemed like, can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So I started, I've been numbing since I was a small child. I started, um, I I sucked my thumb purposefully until I was about eight. And then until I was about 10, I remember waking up, not wanting to, but sucking my thumb. When I was in eighth grade, about 13, I started smoking cigarettes. When I started, when I was 14, I started smoking weed. When I was 16, I started drinking. I drank abusively until I was in my early forties. And then I just sort of stopped And I did question many times whether I was an alcoholic. And now I know that I'm not because I just stopped. Like alcohol can't just stop. And I continued to smoke weed for many, many years. But then in my 20s, I also picked up food and started eating um, to numb. And in my 30s, I battled with about 35, excuse me, my 20s, 
I battled on and off with about 35 pounds. And then by the time I got to my thirties, it was more like 80 to hundred pounds. And I am now clean, sober and abstinent. I'm down over hundred pounds from my top weight. I don't do drugs or alcohol. Wow. Um, I don't, wow. you know, act out codependently. And honestly, it's an incredible way to live. And I, I remember years ago, there used to be a bumper sticker that said um, realities for people who can't handle drugs. And I remember thinking that was funny. <sighs> and now it's so sad to me yeah. that I couldn't handle reality. And I needed the drugs and the alcohol and the food and the codependence and the chaos. That's the other thing is that, you know, I didn't know that I was addicted to chaos and drama, but you know, it turns out I grew up in a dysfunctional family, which means many things. But what it means is that I lived in flight, fight or flight mode most of the time. And so my system was used to being activated. This is that sense of urgency and that low level anxiety I was talking about. And that when you live in that mode, your entire life, your natural state is that one of activation. So when I started to get a sense of actual peace and serenity, it was astonishing because I didn't know that I didn't have those things until I got into recovery. And I will say that there have been many, many things about recovery that have been incredibly helpful to me and in a moment, I'd like to tell you my top three tools of recovery, but I would say one of the most important has been learning to have healthy boundaries. So I mentioned that I was codependent and the, the antidote to codependence is boundaries because as a codependent, we go outside of ourselves. We're enmeshed with other people and forming healthy boundaries means we differentiate ourselves from others. We are very clear who we are, where we end, and where other people begin. And I didn't know that I didn't know any of those things. And so learning how to have healthy boundaries has helped me discover my real identity, who I really am, what I want, like, need, and prefer. Because like, here's an example, depending on who I dated, and I, I happen to be a heterosexual woman, I'm attracted to men. So whoever the guy was that I was dating, whatever football team he liked, I liked, so I've been a Giants fan. I've been a Cowboys fan twice. I've been a Patriots fan. Meanwhile, I don't care about football, right? So I just morphed my identity to the surroundings around me. And learning how to have healthy boundaries has really helped me to figure out, I don't really like football. And you know what? It's okay. I don't need to like football because not everybody likes football and that's okay. So that being said, I will say that from the very beginning, my top three tools of recovery, which I think whether you're in recovery or not can be really helpful to anybody. Number one is pausing. Now I learned that pausing was a thing in recovery and I thought, oh, that's great. So most people have heard count to 10 when you're angry. That, that's an example of pausing. And in the beginning, I was like, okay, I would wanna learn how to pause, but I didn't know how to do it. So what would happen is I would have a situation and maybe two weeks later, I go, hey, there was a situation where I could have paused. Excellent. Good to know. And then a while later, another situation would come up and I'd be like, oh, hey, there was a situation where I could have paused. And then it would happen again. And I saw the time closing between when I wanted to pause 
and I realized, or when I could have paused and I realized it and, and I got excited about the fact that, oh, maybe I'm going to be able to pause eventually. And that happened. And so pausing is so important because it allows me to use any of my other tools of recovery. So my next most important tool of recovery is to reach out for help. And for me, that means both to reach out to other human beings and to reach out to my higher power. Because even though I was spiritual before I got into recovery, I didn't use my higher power. I didn't reach out for help and I didn't hand things over. So being able to pause allows me to do that. And it also allows me to ask for help because as the consummate people pleaser, I was also super self-sufficient. I didn't ever ask people for help. And what I learned through this process of asking for help was that I somehow felt it was weak to ask for help. And what I learned from that, which was really humbling, was that I somehow believed that I was better than all these people that I was helping. And I didn't want to believe that. And so learning to ask for help has been just tremendous. I want to jump in there and say, I want to pause and have everybody who's listening hear that. Because outside, I I think this advice that you're giving is so great for anybody in the world. As you touched upon that. Because, Mm -hmm. you know, here as a cancer survivor, I've been through the throes and I think whether you're somebody that's surviving anything, cancer, chronic illness, hardship, whatever it Mm -hmm. might be, Mm -hmm. asking people who love you, people who like you Mm want to make your life a little bit easier. And so in some ways I've heard other people say sometimes it's a gift to be able to say to somebody, listen, I'm having a hard time or not even I'm having a hard time. I could really use some help right now. Would you be able Mm -hmm. to do A, B, and C? And I'll tell you as somebody, you know, like you has had much of my life has had a hard time asking for help. When Mm -hmm. I went through radiation treatment this past summer, I threw my hands up and at one point I was just like, I'm just going to ask for help. There's a few, you know, there were, there were a few people that live in my neighborhood that I'm close with that I knew wouldn't look at me like I had five heads Mm -hmm. and maybe they'd be surprised because they know I don't like to ask for help, but they Mm -hmm. jumped at it. And can I tell you those few weeks where I was in my case, I was having healthy foods that were peanut free. I always thought we were too high maintenance for that type of help. Peanut free, <laughs> largely vegan, vegetarian, healthy, plant-based, blah, blah, blah. List goes on. But I, I wanted to to stop for a second so everybody mm-hmm. who's listening could hear mm-hmm. that because that advice is good for all of us. If we're agreed. Yeah. You know, going through a happy, not even a hardship, but a stressful time mm-hmm. that you're yeah. so focused on something for work or life, mm-hmm. it's really powerful. And you also feel this love and support as well as your life becomes a bit easier. Yeah. I mean, I think that basically when we reach out for help, we allow people to love us. And that's what we're here for is to love and be loved. That's why we were created in my opinion. So um, yeah, that reaching out for help can be so hard, but it's so, so worth it. And um My third tool of recovery is keeping the focus on myself. So as a a recovered codependent, I was so focused on what other people thought of me that uh, I I put up all these different facades. And so I keep the focus on me in several ways. One is that I think about what do I want, need, like, and prefer and think and feel here where I was so focused on what do they, what do they think? What do they need? How can I fix this? 
I also keep the focus on myself by trying to understand my part in things, which by the way, is my number one gift of 12 step recovery. All the other self-help stuff I did didn't ever help me have me look at what was I doing to create the chaos or exacerbate the chaos going around me? What was I doing that was attracting all of these dysfunctional relationships? Keeping the focus on myself also means minding my own business. I stuck my nose into other people's business all the time. I gave unsolicited advice. I I jumped in to fix and rescue people, even when they didn't want me to. And Keeping the focus on myself also means engaging in very purposeful and consistent self-care. So number one tool is pausing. Number two is reaching out. And number three is keep the focus on me. So I could talk forever about recovery, um, but I I do want to say just a couple more things. So I found out about a year into that recovery program that I had a problem with food, which I didn't know was a thing. And I got into a second recovery program for that. I'm now down over a hundred pounds from my top weight. I've been at my goal weight for three and a half years. Wow. And I have not engaged in compulsive eating for five and a half years. I've never been the same size. So the fact that I've been at the same weight for three and a half years is amazing. And I'm used to it now. But what's way more important, of course, it's wonderful being in a smaller body, but what is more wonderful is the peace and serenity that I feel. And when people see me, especially if they knew me heavy, I say to them, what you are seeing is the outward manifestation of the inner changes that have happened for me. So yes, I'm thinner, but way more important, I am at peace. Wow. That is I got to believe so powerful whatever walk of life that you're coming from to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm saying words to you to describe that they don't even come close to, to go from a life of chaos that I didn't even know was chaotic to a life of peace and serenity where I feel connected to humans in a way like I am in the most fulfilling, happy, loving, romantic intimate relationship. I didn't even know this was possible. Just this past Friday, we celebrated our three-year anniversary. I didn't know this level of intimacy was possible. I feel loved by God. There's nothing better than that. All the time, I feel it. And if I'm not connected, I know how to get connected. And there's just no words to describe how incredible that is. Well, this is so inspirational. For people I'm coming so yeah. coming from all different directions, right? Because to yeah. feel love, it it doesn't matter what hardship you're going through. Even <laughs> you know, even sometimes I think it sounds like you didn't even realize that life could be better. No, I didn't. Well, I mean, I knew something because I was always striving, but I didn't know what I was striving for. I did know that I didn't have fulfilling relationships, but I thought it was them, not me. Like I was willing to take credit for all the good things in my relationships, but I was blaming my partners for all the bad things. But I could, like, I didn't know that until I got into recovery and was given these new lenses through which to look at my life. All right. So you've given us a ton of great tools here to focus on. Are there any mm-hmm. resources in general that, and mm-hmm. I'll put different links in the show notes, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. if anybody's identifying with any parts of the story or knows mm-hmm. somebody who is, what would you mm-hmm. suggest to them? 
So the mother program of all 12-step recovery programs is Alcoholics Anonymous. And so most people probably know somebody who's involved in Alcoholics Anonymous and every other 12-step program kind of branches off from them, has learned from them. And so I would say, you know, that if you find somebody who's an AA or you go to an AA meeting, they have open meetings, which means you don't have to identify as alcoholic to go to them. Even if alcohol isn't your problem, you will find people who can connect you because many people in recovery are in multiple programs. Uh, A few other really big ones are Narcotics Anonymous, Cocaine Anonymous. Um, There is also uh, Al-Anon, which is for loved ones. There's Adult Children of Alcoholics and Dysfunctional Families. That's for people who grew up in alcoholic or otherwise dysfunctional homes. There's Codependents Anonymous. There's Overeaters Anonymous. There's Debtors Anonymous. There's Sex and Love Addicts Anonymous, and there are tons more. I think there's like 200 and something. Those are the ones that I know somebody who's in every one of those programs. I know actually people who are, many people who are in all of those programs. So those are ones that I know a lot about. But I would say, you know, if you just Google those terms, you'll find them. I will also say that um, there are people out there who are recovery coaches. So you mentioned at the beginning, I'm a recovery coach. I'm actually a boundaries coach, not a recovery coach, but there are people who do that. There, there is an organization that I just recently learned about that's called We the Village, and they are for the loved ones of addicts. And they have a scientifically proven method of learning how to interact with your addict in such a way that the likelihood of them getting into treatment and getting clean and sober is vastly increased than non-scientifically based methods. And they also recommend that people go things like Al-Anon and Codependence Anonymous and and ACA as well. And so, um, you know, there's more, but I think that's, those are good starts for people to get going. Wow. That was great. And to the extent I can, I will put these links in the show notes if anybody wants Mm -hmm. them. But like you said, Mm -hmm. anything Mm -hmm. you've heard here, you can um, Google and Mm -hmm. get Mm -hmm. them as well. I just like to make it easier. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, but we're here talking. I just thought of, I thought of one more. more. Okay. Yeah. There's another one that's called faces and voices of recovery. And this is an advocacy organization because addiction is not treated as the illness that it is and mental health and addiction problems are often co-occurring. And until our medical system treats mental health and addiction problems, the way that they treat physical illnesses like cancer, then we're never going to tackle this problem. It's not the moral failing that someone has an addiction. It is a physical illness that they can't help. And so faces and voices of recovery is for people who are either in recovery themselves or who support people in recovery in whatever way. And so they advocate and they help people learn about what kind of legislative efforts are going on out there to really get this, these problems addressed as the health problems that they are. Well, thank you. I'll make sure that I include that one as well. That's really important. Mm-hmm. Now, this podcast is about finding joy through whatever journey you're Mm -hmm. going through in life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you talk to us now about what brings you happiness and 
I guess talk to the listeners yeah. a bit about it. Yeah. Well, how much time do you have? <laughs> Five years. I have, no. I have I, uh, so much happiness in my life and so much joy. So I would say one of the things that gives me the greatest joy is to share the message of recovery. So one of the things we say in, in, tw- in the 12th step is we carry them. Part of the 12th step is we continue to carry the message to those who still suffer. So to let other people know you're not alone and there is hope. And then when I actually meet somebody who thinks they want to hear more, I tell them my story and they can identify and they say, oh my God, that's me, that's me, that's me. So carrying the message of recovery to those who still suffer gives me joy. Um, I've also learned, I really like attention and I can own that. Like I used to not, not be able to acknowledge that. And I love a captive audience. So I too have a podcast. It's called Fragmented to Whole Life Lessons from 12 Step Recovery. And it's a weekly podcast. They're 10 to 20 minutes long. And I just share what I've learned from recovery. So the things I've talked about here, there's a lot more of that. At this moment, I have 130 episodes and I love to talk. I learned from a coach um, last year that he says, you know, often people find their greatest gift is something they got in trouble for as a kid. So he got in trouble for being a dreamer and he was told to get his head out of the clouds. Well, his gift is helping people realize their dream. And I was like, what did I get in trouble for? Oh, I got in trouble for talking as a kid. And so I make my living talking now, talking as a podcaster and as a coach. It is what I do. So the other thing is I'm a boundaries coach. And that brings me great joy because boundaries have been an incredible gift of my recovery. And they've been also an incredible tool of my recovery. So it gives me enormous pleasure to be able to teach people how to develop and maintain healthy boundaries. And I love coaching people. And when I'm coaching people one-on-one, I think, oh, this is my favorite. But then when I'm coaching people in a group, I'm like, oh, this is my favorite. It's all my favorite. And another thing that gives me great joy is making connections between people. So in addition to my own business, which is called Higher Power Coaching and Consulting, I work in a co-working place in downtown New Haven as a community manager. It's called Known Co-working. And so my job there is to connect people to the people and the organizations and the resources they want and need to meet. And so I travel a lot in the circles of entrepreneurship. And so it is my great joy to connect people to the other people that they want and need to meet. And I really love being able to do that. That like when I'm able to make connections between people, between people, it's like, oh, like angels singing to me. It just jazzes me in this way that nothing else does. And um, I also really love uh, my prayer time and my, we call it in 12-step recovery, conscious contact time with my higher power. I really love being quiet and peaceful and connecting multiple times a day. And then of course, there's my sweetheart, Chuck. I really love spending time with him. We have so much fun together. We laugh all the time. And one thing I discovered about three weeks into dating him is that he's a very silly person and I'm a very silly person too. And I was like, oh, he's a silly person. I'm so excited. And we do a lot of silly, fun things together. So oh, that's awesome. I, I just, yeah, I really love spending time with him and um, walking in nature. I live across from the New Haven Harbor and I walk over there 
probably five or six days a week. And I really love that as well. Well, it's, it's amazing. I'll tell you with the podcast. And now I, I, I'm amazed at over a hundred episodes. That's truly when you have a commitment and by the way, um, I respect my husband works in the digital space and he has Mm -hmm. said, Sometimes in in the digital space, especially with podcasting commitments, staying committed mm-hmm. to what you're yeah. doing on a regular basis, that's what mm-hmm. helps see success. Oh yeah, right. In so, all things, yeah, that's true. In in all things, and that is is amazing. I mean, I'm, I'm around as we speak at about seventy, mm-hmm. and proud and excited about that. And I'll tell you, like your friend said to you, I'm laughing about like, I say that I love podcasting because ever since I was little, I love talking on the phone. Yeah. I feel like we're just having a conversation where we're just talking on the phone as friends. But to think of it, to be honest, I used to get in trouble all the time for talking too much in class. So your friend has a very, (laughs) very valid point here, right? Yeah. But I am so grateful that you are here. I am, for those who have listened to this podcast before, know mm-hmm. that gratitude is important mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. life. And I believe mm-hmm. that you feel the same way. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 21 years of a nightly gratitude journal. 21 years in July. That's that's amazing. I will say yeah. in wellness circles, you see a lot of it. But mm-hmm. I'll tell you, it hasn't been 21 years of it. So that's that's mm-hmm. incredibly impressive. But it goes to show that such a simple habit can... It's life-changing. Life-changing. Absolutely. Can, and, and you know, it, what I will say to people, having a gratitude practice is what works for me. I mm-hmm. encourage people to find the tools that work for them. Maybe yeah. it's prayer and not gratitude, although it probably mm-hmm. comes in there. Maybe mm-hmm. it's having mindful moments, meditation, making sure you do yoga, taking mm-hmm. a walk outside, which is where I was going to get at when you were talking about your walks to the harbor yeah. and back. In these podcast episodes, so many guests, say that their focus on being outside truly mm-hmm. helps them heal mm-hmm. and healing could mean a lot of different things for people. So I do think that gratitude can help heal. So for those of mm-hmm. you that are new to me, I play the grateful game most nights with my son before bed and to close out every podcast episode. And what it is, it's a simple gratitude practice where we talk about what we're grateful for and why in a short amount of time And I'll say, and I say this over and over again, do I believe that this is going to cure my cancer? Well, I I mean, I wish, but probably not. But what it does do is it helps me focus on what's going on in my life, noticing the positive in my life, and then reporting back to my son or whomever I'm playing with at night or say during this podcast episode. So Mm -hmm. Barb, I'm assuming, but I never want to assume, I'm hoping that you will play the grateful game with me. Of course. I'm in. It takes the spotlight off of what's going poorly in your life and puts it on the things that are going well. It does. And Mm. again, it kind of gives me, call it that warm, fuzzy feeling. Mm -hmm. So I want to focus on the day, like the last 24 hours. And mind Mm -hmm. you, when I play the grateful game, yes, I am so grateful for the fact that I am thriving with stage four cancer. That is very important. Mm. I'm grateful for the roof over my head. I'm grateful for my husband and my son. I I like to look at the little things because even in my darkest times, I've found that the little things are what helps get me through. Mm -hmm. So- Mm -hmm. I'm going to say little things today. 
I am grateful for the fact that I have a I have had a standing Thursday walk with one of my friends that makes me excited and I really do a good job trying to plan around it because as long as it's not pouring out I get and she's a really fast walker so I get mm-hmm. good exercise and we've gotten to really get to know we've gotten to know each other our yeah. boys play baseball together. And so it's been really, it's, it's really nice. Uh, one, let's see two. I am grateful that my son left his big colored pencils, markers. He had a science project and believe it or not, I'm saying I'm grateful that he left him in my office because as I was prepping for this interview this morning, I started to use them like the multicolored markers as I was like writing different notes because I was just being silly, which I think Mm -hmm. you and Chuck would enjoy. But I'm looking at the the prep sheet now and it's all full of colors and it made me smile. So I know it's silly and small. And let's see if I can do one more before my minute is up. Um, I guess silly, but I'm grateful that the sun is shining because I'm in this office that's very small. My podcast studio, there's many, many, many different things that go on in this office, but I've got through the blinds, this bright light shining in on me. Mm. And that makes, you know, it it just makes me happy. So I'm grateful Mm. for the good weather today. So I'm going to toss it to you. All right. Well, I am grateful now that you just mentioned the markers that they make these things that are called chalk markers that you can write on chalkboards and whiteboards with. And I used some yesterday at Known and they made me really happy. I also really love drawing a bunch of smiley faces. It makes me really happy. I love that I go to yoga every Thursday with my sweetheart and we're actually going in person now. And I also do yoga with him every Monday at my house. I am grateful for my recovery, for my abstinence, my emotional sobriety, that I have healthy boundaries, and that I am financially stable because there was much of my life I was not. I'm also grateful that I live across from the New Haven Harbor and I get to see all the birds and the waves and the people fishing and enjoying the shoreline. And I too am grateful that it is a lovely sunny day. Well, you won, but as I always say that my mother said to me since I was little, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, it's how you play the game. Yeah. My son would disagree because, you know, he's competitive in playing baseball. Yeah, and he's little. And he's, yes. I will say, though, as you are talking about your walk on the New Haven Harbor, I can picture it, but from a different point of view, because the baseball fields that he played at for years were East Shore. Oh, yeah, I go there, too. Oh, I love, you know, some of the fields are nicer than others, I will say there, but there's a beautiful path that you can walk. And I've I've spent many times with my baseball mom friends who I'm incredibly grateful for. I know I'm outside the game, but continually grateful for these moms I've been spending a lot of time with since my son was eight. and Now he's almost 13. So it's a good, Mm. good portion of both of our lives. But yeah. Um, again, I want to thank you. If I oh, haven't said it already, too. thank you. I want to yeah. thank you for being on the podcast, for sharing your story, for providing so many resources for people to think about and reflect on what's going on in their life and, and how, mm. if, if they want to make it better, um, th- there's some great ideas. And so I'm, I'm grateful that you were on the, on the podcast and that you shared your story mm. and your lessons learned. So yeah. um, before we go, can you let us know where people can connect with you? 
Absolutely. And just before I say that, I just want to thank you not only for inviting me, but for this incredible podcast and for spreading love and joy and healing in the world because the world needs more love and joy and healing. So thank you for that. Well, so my podcast, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I'm sending you a big virtual hug. Thank you. Oh, goody, goody. So my podcast is called Fragmented to Whole, Life Lessons from 12-Step Recovery. It's basically on every podcast outlet, but you can also go to fragmentedtowhole.com. And my website is higherpowercc.com because my business is called higherpowercoachingandconsulting.com. That's the best way to find me. But I'm a fan of Instagram. I'm at higherpowercoaching on Instagram. So I'd love to connect with you there too. Oh, I love Instagram too. Or I have yeah. fun with it. I find that a lot of people yeah. will will reach out to me at Pretty Wellness on Instagram there. Mm-hmm. And we just have, you know, sometimes it's just silly conversations about, yeah. you know, the, the juice that I posted this morning. And other times it's a little bit more connected when it comes to, yeah. you know, cancer and so on. But, yeah. um, and for the listeners, I want to thank you for joining us on this journey. I know uh, there's so much out there today when it comes to media. And so I'm honored that you are here with us Mm. today. And I want to wrap it up by saying I love, love, love how you were talking about the podcast about spreading love, joy, and healing because that Mm. really is the essence of Mm. what I'm trying to do. I want people to know that it is possible to find joy during whatever Mm. journey you're going through in life. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we've been here to help you take small steps to get there. So thank you, thank you, thank you, everyone. Sending out big virtual hugs. Bye for now. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please take a minute to rate, review, and subscribe. You leaving a review helps us with our podcast ranking. The higher we are ranked, the more people can discover our show. And tell your friends about us too. If you love us, they might as well. Thanks again for joining us today. I am sending you lots of happiness and great health. Bye for now.